Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Create Magic Podcast. This is another installment of the Creative Weirdo segment where I talk to new friends and old friends that are creative and weird in all different kinds of ways. I've been doing these for a minute. I should probably count how many I've done. I'm not sure, but... There's always these consistent themes that run through them, it seems, and one of the biggest ones is comic books and the liminality um, and the access point to the weird that they seem to provide for readers. But I have Easton Hawk today, who is an amazing artist, and we talk about just that and a million other things that have to do with creativity, consciousness, the weird, the unknown, and Easton. It's super fun. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, he is one of those artists that is just immensely talented. Like when I look at their work, I have no clue how Easton does it, but it's amazing. I'll have links below to check it out. Please go support Easton and yeah, enjoy this conversation. I'll be talking to you all tomorrow. Until then, have a great day. Bye. Go ahead and just jump right in with the story you were telling, Easton. I'm yeah. going to do an intro and all that in post. So right. So yeah, it's uh, it's this glitch in the matrix subreddit story that I've read a few times, and it it makes me like physically ill when I read it. Just like the weird like vertigo you get, just like trying to put yourself in this guy's like shoes. Uh, but the story is that he was tackled like as a joke by a another kid at his school, and he was put into it was like a few hours of a coma. I think it was like 18 hours. He woke up the next day in a hospital bed and tried to like recollect what happened. But the story he had is that in that 18 hours in his head, he lived an entire like 25 year span where he, he finished high school. He went to college. He got a degree. He met a woman. They fell in love. He got married. They had kids. He did the whole routine. He did sitting in traffic every day. He went to the bathroom. He brushed his teeth. He consumed new media. He read books. He watched movies, everything for a span of 25 years. And then one, there was a point in it. And I think it was like a year span where everything just started going to shit. And like his, he and his wife weren't doing well anymore. They um, were separating and she was moving out and he stopped going to work uh, because he noticed that in the corner of his living room, he would look at the like uh, the the side table or the corner table that had a lamp on it. And the perspective of the lamp was off just by like the slightest bit to where he could notice it. And like the shadows didn't match like physically. It just didn't make sense with the way that he understood how things work. So he stared at this like days on end, trying to figure out what, what was wrong with it. And I don't remember if he just like it clicked in his head that this isn't real or if he touched it. Um, But in the moment that he realized that it, it wasn't what he thought it was, he woke up in that hospital bed with like his grandma or something and had to explain that scenario. Yeah. So there was like, weird time slip stories or out of body experiences really intrigue me. And they really make me like sick to my stomach. 
<laughs> so, so can I? What, what, uh, what makes you sick to your stomach? Like, what gets you about those type of stories? I think I. So I've mentioned it to you. I, I was straight edge up until I was like twenty five, and I started like, you know casually drinking and like social situations i play in a band so we play a lot of bars and mm-hmm. then 2020 hit and i was like spiraling and just in a really bad headspace so i started reading it on um psychedelics and like using that for anxiety and depression so yeah. uh, just uh doing one single acid trip and the time like dilation and the time loop spin and mm-hmm. that like really 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 upset me like when i realized it in real time and i set up the trip to be like in the most comfortable place i know it was at my buddy's lake cabin that we would go to in high school on spring breaks with all my friends and Mm -hmm. i know that place like the back of my hand it's like i have a lot of really nice memories there it's calm but um there's a point where i was like sitting um on the like a swing in front of the water and, um, I, I knew that I like went through the lake house to go to the bathroom and I like walked through and I like did the dishes all of a sudden. And then I walked back out and I sat back on the swing next to my buddy who was also on the trip with me. And we had, um, another friend that was trip sitting us. And as soon as I sat down and I got like in the same position I was in before that, it like hit me. And I was like, did that even just happen? Oh my God, how long have we been sitting here? And like looking at my watch and like three hours had passed. And so I got into like a really bad loop with that. And then, um, so I think reading into that stuff, I'm always like, what if I'm just sitting on the the fucking swing looking at the lake right now? (laughs) And it's still September, 2020. And all of this is just a figment of my imagination, yada, yada, yada. I so, love that. <laughs> those just like those like really really like hurt my psyche, but I love reading them. No, I yeah, that makes sense that it kind of brings up that same feeling. You just made me think of one of my favorite scenes in Freaks and Geeks when Lindsay Weir gets stoned for the first time and mm-hmm. she's sitting there with Millie babysitting and she's like what if we are all just in the dreams of that dog and if that dog wakes up we are all going to disappear right That's now. Pretty much how it was and I like like I said I tried to prepare myself as like best I could mm-hmm. but I I didn't prepare well enough apparently because I was not having a good time. So I, the only thing I, that really pulled me back was watching episodes of the office on my phone, like just finding something that's comforting and I love it. laying in bed. And then, uh, you know, my buddy and I just like quoting walk hard, the Dewey Cox story until I fell asleep. Yeah. So, <laughs> but the, the scars are still, they still raise to the surface every once in a while, especially reading the stories and, you know, getting in a Reddit hole. That's no, that makes a lot of sense. So I am, uh, I, I am no, I would not consider myself like a psychedelic expert or a psychonaut or anything. I've dabbled mm-hmm. plenty and whatnot right. but from the little I've dabbled. I definitely think going from like casual drinking to acid is a big yeah, jump and through. like yeah like i definitely uh creeped up in there with plenty of weed smoking and some mushrooms and other yeah. things and then, <laughs> then got to but even uh, i had a similar experience like i did acid once and that was that like i was like this is not for me and i think yeah. like anything else chemicals and all or whatever these um anthenogens are like each person kind of resonates with its own like right. uh, version of that you know and but it's really funny 
that this comes up right now. And I think I spoke with you. We, uh, for a little behind the scenes, we're supposed to do this a little bit ago, but had some technical difficulties, but I ended up talking for like an hour. And I spoke to you how I've been uh, really into Eric Wargo's work and uh, some of the, uh, mainly just listening to his podcast, uh, the podcast appearances he's been on. I'm about to start his new book. I've tried reading his first book, Time Loops. I think it's his first book. I don't, I'm not sure. But uh, I've tried reading Time Loops and it's kind of dense. It's thick. It's hard. It's like yeah. it's it's it, it's a book for sure that is way smarter than uh, my. But what I love is he kind of is talking exactly about what all of the stuff that you just referenced from the psychedelic experience to that like kind of time slip. And yeah, and a lot of it like the um he his new book is called The Long Self. And a lot of it has to do with the idea that time, you know, isn't linear, that's all happening at once, and mm -hmm. that we, there are these loops that occur, and we can tap into these loops. And he offers this practice that revolves around dreaming and dream journaling. So you can like, okay. find these precognitive loops in this in the stream world. But he also talks about how you can achieve, really, it's just about quieting the ego. And you can do that in a million right. ways from meditation to, uh, uh, it, I guess I will say proper psychedelic use or like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like the goal with it was to achieve the ego death that everybody talks about and you know you can you can read up on and um i definitely found something so i am like firmly on the ground i don't fuck with anything <laughs> at all. well and but. so again i am no expert but i'd say that going in with intentions are is very important but going in with very specific intentions can be dangerous like going right. in with that okay. intention of of dissolving one's ego i think you probably had a full dissolvement a, a little sooner and faster than uh, you were probably ready for yeah. because yeah. the other thing that i think a lot of people so the, the people that i really resonate that talk about like ego dissolution and dissolvement it's less about uh, killing the ego or making the ego go away and man it's more about managing and reintegrating the ego because mm -hmm. the I, I can't remember who uses this example now but it's one of these uh, bunch of spiritual teachers I've listened to but they're like if you try and go to target without a fucking ego you're gonna melt into a puddle <laughs> on the floor like you can't just be this raw nerve out in this right. world we have to just like when you're integrating paranormal experiences right like you have to be able to put your um a somewhat normal person shoes on and go grocery shopping and pay the bill like you know yeah. like you have to one foot in and one foot out is a very yeah. helpful way to look at this yeah um but it's also so since we last talked i've been listening to somebody who is a what i would guess you would call psychonaut or a visionary artist i've been listening to his podcast a lot and i've talked about him a few times now um i don't think any of the episodes i've talked to him about him have come out yet but his name's uh he goes by ungoogleable michelangelo right. and he has this podcast self portraits as other people and did i share this one with you about his experience with the mantis being on dmt maybe i've been slowly okay. powerful that and then some research i'm doing on my own also so totally uh, so totally so check this little story and what it's kind of the uh i guess thought hole it's led me down the last couple of days with <laughs> like, in combination with a few others but essentially 
he uh, is very experienced with DMT. He's having a DMT uh, trip that's, you know, it, he's done it a bunch at this point. Mm-hmm. And he's encountered this mantis being, which is pretty common when you read about DMT encounters. Okay. It's one of the beings that seems to exist over there. And uh, <laughs> so he encounters this mantis being, or he says it might be a large grasshopper. He's not sure. Grasshopper, mantis, <laughs> big insect, right? Um so and he's this time he's determined to ask like why does this like giant insectoid that's made of light and like pure energy choose to interact with this lowly human like what is what's the relationship right. here what's the like because he feels like it's some sort of symbiosis but he doesn't know what's the give and take right so he asks the mantis being and the mantis being says art y- humans and the way that you use imagination and create is unique to you. And we and my other my fellow beings use yeah. you as a creative extension, right? So I fucking love that. Like I was like, so so the mantis being was essentially like, take this story and share it. That is why I'm here is for you to share my being through art and to create things. And you are a creative extension of this other universe. And I'm like a your contactee uh yes. you know here's some information spread it forth yes totally and like very specifically that like because of the um the imaginational or the imaginal realm that we exist in that we have access to there's something mm-hmm. uniquely special to that according to this being and i was like huh I love that. Like, I think yeah. that's really cool. And it kind of goes along with something that uh, my buddy Vuk has said a bunch that like he has thought about the paranormal being a creative expression of the universe, that the universe is using us and our creativity to further express itself via these paranormal encounters. And, you know, that can apply to encounters of creativity and imagination, divine inspiration, all the like out of this realm stuff. Um, but that really got me thinking and I kind of loved that idea that like this mantis being is like, yeah, we can't access this thing that you guys can. So we're working through this like eth- yeah. entheogen to do it. So I uh, I was listening to this other podcast with an experiencer that was talking about his lifelong experiencer. And he, he pointed out that one of the things that was weird to him is that in all of his experiences, he was he's been taken on ships, other places, all this stuff. Right. He's never seen artwork produced by the other. And, and he, you know, this has got him super interested in like other encounters. So he's done a lot of research and he's never come across a case where he's seen artwork produced by whether you want to say an alien, a ghost, like there's, there's not been a case. And I'm like, that's interesting. So interesting. if the paranormal can't create, maybe the paranormal is doing the same thing that that mantis being is saying, like it's coming here to have creative experiences. So I'm like, I know people that are way smarter than me. So I ask like Rob Christofferson and like Vuk yeah. and Jordan and like the, and like, I'm like, do you guys know any encounters where like th- not the experiencer creates the art, but the experiencer goes somewhere and views art created by the other. And no one's been able to come up with one for me yet. And I'm like, Okay, I really the, uh, love this now. <laughs> I just scored uh, the Trojan Feast a couple of days ago from uh, Joshua Kutchin. Uh, so I, I, up until you know discovering that, uh, I had never even thought of you know all of the food and all of the drink uh, mm-hmm. that have been offered to people in these weird experiences. So I'm really excited to dig into an entire compilation of yeah every oh, the whole spread of everything. So that's awesome. That's going to be fun, dude. It's a really good. That stuff also, 
so I um, love those weird cases with food and drink, whether it's like, you know, the space pancakes in Wisconsin, like that's a great one. Right. But you, you know what ones I really love? And I'm not going to have any of the specifics. Maybe I will, in this episode, link the episode of Our Strange Skies where Rob covers it. But he covered this story where essentially there's all of these, uh, it's like three or four aliens and they chase these kids and the kids... I want to say the kids get chased up a tree and they're like, huh, what do we do? How do we handle this? There's all these aliens. We're really scared. And one of the kids is like, I'm going to go get a cup of water and offer them some water and see if they want some water. And that act of hospitality, like completely diffused the situation. Right. And I was like, that's beautiful because in like every, every account like that, the kid's going to like huck a rock or try and poke it with a stick or Yeah, um, yeah. I always think of you know, is it Orfeo Angelucci that has the 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 best drink he had ever tasted offered by? Okay, yeah. I think about that all the time, and like, what the hell could that possibly be? He can't describe the taste of it. So, like, what I I don't know. It's like when people talk about seeing you know colors that aren't in our spectrum, like just trying to break your brain over a flavor that can't be described. Yeah, I think about that shit with like synesthesia and stuff like that. Like the idea that people like taste colors and stuff. It just it's mm-hmm. all like like a way to view the world that you can't touch. Like you just can't yeah. without being in that situation. You can't exactly. really experience it fully. Yeah, it's really wild. But I love it. Like we were talking about right before we hopped on. It's those little details that really make those high strangeness cases for me and yeah. make me think that like. And I, I I use this word a lot, imagination, and it's not in the way that it disproves any of these things, but I think kind of it, it's a world that allows it to exist, in a, and, and people kind of undervalue the power of our imagination. And oh, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, like, so one of the things that we talked about briefly in our prior conversation was some of my favorite cases of high strangeness in which um there's interaction with fictional characters like a you know a creator has put so much energy into something and it seems to produce a i don't want to say tulpa because it seems like it's something almost different than that type of thing but it seems to produce the actual character and since i uh talked to you i heard a really good one with neil gaiman and one of his characters from sandman have you heard about this at all no so Red Pill Junkie told it on Vuk's podcast, Tracing Owls, which I'm now going to put two of those links in there so okay. people can hear it because he tells it way better than I'm going to for sure. But essentially it was Neil Kamen while he was working on Sandman. He was at a Halloween party and someone walked up to him and asked him for a light for a cigarette. And uh, he turned around and I'm going to try and say this name right, but it was the <laughs> character that is a uh, the uh, Chorosan or Chorazon, sorry, there it is. It was a uh, Chorazon, and uh, which is a like ancient type of demon character representing the devil, and he used him as a very minor character in one of the Sandman stories, right? So he turns around and he's like, "Oh shit, it's Chorazon. Nice costume. <laughs> it's Halloween party, so it's like nice costume, dude." And then like, so Chorazon has two mouths, like one up top and one like where the neck is, and essentially the dude like is, shows him he has both mouths, and he's like, "So when am I going to be back in the book?" And he's like, uh, "Okay, this is a little yeah. wild." And then and essentially the Chorazon was like, "I need you to 
tell my story. It was very similar to that same thing that Manus thing said, where he's like, I need you to make sure people know the devil and remember who the devil is. So, and then right. Neil Gaiman was like, well, I am having, you know, Sandman go back to hell. And Chorazan was like, that's it. Put me there. That's where I come back in. That's where you preserve my memory. And like, you know, it's one of those things where it's, it, it, no matter how that actually flushes out, like as far as any kind of like, you know, whether it's a dude in a cop costume or not it's just beautiful that that encounter happened and it went you know whether it was the um imaginal power that neil gaiman put into making the sandman manifesting in the world or just right. a really weird instance that inspired him to finish the book however he finished that say, story like either way you know it's still a weird cause and effect for you know this thing either happened or he perceived it happened and then he went on to you know, produce something like notable and highly regarded. So yeah. either way, there's, that's the know, point, right? <laughs> a, a, a weird, but cool little anecdote, I guess. Yeah. And I really, I mean, like I'm the type of dude that believes like, I believe people at face value, especially when it comes to like a result like that in the world, just being a little bit more wondrous and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, a little bit more magical and there's plenty of other ones with like alan moore meeting john constantine and john constantine mm -hmm. like teaching him about magic and then apparently there's like subsequent other people that have worked on constantine that have also met john constantine in real life so it seems like there's something to that that might be more like a tulpa instance there like that's yeah. a that i don't really know what this separation would be but <laughs> um but yeah, I love the idea that like the artist focusing that intent can bring these things into the world manifest and like the uh, the idea that the 2D is in some ways as real as the 3D. And, you know, we're we're just kind of relegating stuff to that. Right. Yeah, it's just it, it kind of goes back into the 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 time loop thing. Like, I, yeah. I don't know when you really start to like think on it it like makes you weak in the knees <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> with weird possibility. It's true. The time loop thing is super interesting. One of the big things that people seem to get really uncomfortable with it is the, uh, the implications on free will, like uh, mm -hmm. the idea that like, you know, things are predestined and already set in right. stone and whatnot. And, and I don't think that's like, especially through, um, Eric Wargo, like his system of this, I don't think that's really how it's viewed. Like you're still plenty of like changes okay. that can be made and stuff. And I know there's one quote oh, I'm trying to say. Yeah. So there's one quote I wrote down from him that is really good about it's uh, free will is not our ability to alter events, but our ability to alter how we feel or frame them. And I think that is like a really like... Uh, a different way to look at free will and something that is almost more true and resonates with like something I try and teach my kids a lot that like you listen you can't control what happens all we can control is our reactions to the right. things that Which is happen kind of, what we were, kind of what we were talking about um, at our first attempt at this talking about you know uh, cultivating coping mechanisms ahead of you know tragedies and if you're not a person that's experienced tragedy yeah. you know it's inevitable uh, just trying to figure out uh, different, you know, methods of preparation and getting your mind, you know, able yeah. to handle things that are absolutely going to happen. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. I, do you 
do you have like I know from our last talk that we that you've been kind of on a little uh let's say path of seeking like trying to to sure. to look at some <laughs> of these bigger questions and stuff. Have you ever tried to do any kind of like daily practice or like any kind of just and not not like even in meditation or like breathing but just like something like I'm going to watch this TV show every day like whatever it is but have you ever just tried to do something consistently for a really long time? <laughs> Um, I know I've thought about it and talked about it before, you know, it's like a new year's resolution where <laughs> you can talk about it all you want, but it's definitely going to fall off within like a week. Mm-hmm. Um, n- nothing like serious. I feel like I'm a pretty regimented person and mm-hmm. I pretty much live the same day over and over and over again until, uh, <laughs> until something exciting happens. That's a meditative state in, in its own though. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I am a very like by by the clock person. So I try to do things. I pretty much have like an itinerary, even outside of um, you know my eight to five job. Just I I feel like I'm always scheduling and like calculating how my day is going to go and try to stay like you know three steps ahead of my plans. That kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. And so the the main reason I asked that is just because I'm interested in what people can glean by long practices. And I use the word practice because I don't know what else to use there. But but things in which people have done for a long time. I was talking to my buddy who has played disc golf for like 20 years now, 22 years, something like that. And it's straight up a spiritual experience for him now. Like he's straight, like he's got kids and stuff and like he doesn't play, he plays by himself. He just goes super early in the morning and like, it's like, and I'm like, it's just so interesting to me how people find answers and he's a very thoughtful person he's talked to me about some of the things we've been talking about but he like these are just thoughts he has that have arisen to him while playing disc golf which is something like i have no clue or interest in but it's just interesting to me our thoughts exactly yeah (laughs) just you know just having some time to yourself there's an allotted 10 minutes of you just thinking and doing nothing else pretty much my kid my kid today, so he's really into this podcast called The Big Fib, and it's kind of, I've talked about it on here before, but it's a podcast where they'll have an expert, like a scientist on, and then someone pretend to be a science scientist, and they'll uh, pick a topic. So we're listening to one about uh, the brain today, and they'll have a, a like eight to 10-year-old kid quiz both people and try and figure out who the expert is, right? So they're just like... Yeah, it's super fun. And like you learn all kinds of weird facts and whatnot. So they're talking about the brain and how like at night our brain does this whole thing and like can help us process information and all this like, you know, kind of like the, the what what we kind of have a I guess the smallest inkling of what dreams are or like, you know, the materials yeah. feel on it. So my uh, five year old is like, Dad, I think that's right. Because when I go to bed, my brain, it figures out problems quicker because it's quieter. It doesn't have to think as much during the day as it does during the day. And I'm like, you got it. Exactly, man. Like, that's exactly (laughs) uh, (laughs) it. But that's exactly what those shower thoughts are, is just when your brain has a minute to just not, like, think about everything else. It's like, oh, yeah, here's some weird-ass stuff for you to think about. (laughs) Yeah, your lost fan is off because it's not working as hard. So you have, you know, a little more little more uh bandwidth to work with yeah. uh the more i think about it there is one thing um i keep my drums set up at my office 
because we have an annex upstairs and every day at five, I've been trying to just put 10 minutes of practice in no more, no less. So either I can just, you know, shed around and just go as hard as I can for 10 minutes, or I can work on something, you know, get some writing done in between practices or, um, do a quick, uh, video with an instructor or something like that. So yeah. 10 minutes, five to five ten, Um, and then I'm out the door heading home. So that's beautiful. Uh, I think I've kept that up for the last like four months. That's awesome. And setting that like 10 minute, uh, time limit is so key. Like making it doable is so key. Right. Like I've, I've been bad at that my whole life where I'm like, I'm going to do this. And then I try and do it way too hard. I'm like, Oh yeah, I forgot. Moderation yeah. really <laughs> is a thing. If it, if you give it a very hard, um, a hard like time, uh, time barrier. So I, mm-hmm. I decided 10 minutes because I have an hour commute to and from work and no matter what, there's going to be traffic. So that 10 minutes lets the traffic like burp a little bit and hopefully <laughs> things will be a little smoother on my way out. But either way, it's going to take me the exact same amount of time to get home. And usually I can take that 10 minutes and I'll still get home the same time I would if I left directly at five. So that's, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's the only thing that I've been. So Monday through Friday, um, run upstairs, shed it out for 10 minutes and then hightail it home. I love it. That's awesome. I miss being able to play drums all the time. I, I play drums, uh, in, well, we, I don't play very often anymore. We play, we were doing pretty good, like weekly practices, but it's been a minute. So <laughs> it's, it's been a minute since I've had the kits set up, but it, yeah, that's a really good, like those type of like, especially like playing drums. Like I really miss that. Like you really lose yourself in it. Even for 10 minutes, you can like right. the physicality of it. Like you can get into that, uh, that kind of, uh, muscle memory flow state place. It's right. hard to get to four limbs working, you know, trying to get uh polyrhythms down and, you know, just tinkering around. It's, it's a very, uh, you know, therapeutic process, even if you're just like, you know, doing nonsense and, yeah. you know, bullshitting around. Totally. Do you apply not to completely switch subjects, but do you apply those same kind of time structures to your visual art practices or like your creating of illustrations and stuff? A lot of the time. Yeah. Um, I definitely try to, since, you know, I, I would say a majority of my pieces take around 20 hours just because I usually don't go into it with a like dead set composition down. So it's a lot of you know, drawing shapes and cross hatching until I start to f- see like something I like. And then once I like get that boost of serotonin from something that I like, uh, then everything starts to piece together. But usually I try to carve out at least like 45 minutes to an hour every night to draw. So, um, one way or another, it'll start to piece together. And then when I'm like really in the groove of it, um, I, I can draw for, you know, six hours straight once the kids are asleep and, you know, I can yeah. go through pretty much, but it does take a lot of, um, it's not even planning. It just takes a lot of, uh, trying something until I like see it in my mind's eye finally, and then can finally go through with it. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you, do you do those compositions like the, the rough works as, like um loose i know we talked about this somewhat the last time but i can't remember exactly at this point which is even better but do you do those uh analog like physically or are you doing it all digitally at this point 
Yeah. Um, usually, I think, like I said last time, uh, I'm really bad at getting compositions down just because of scale and um, with the with how easy it is on iPad to just like zoom in and then just go straight into like detail work instead of getting like a full picture. So having, you know, a nine by 12, um, uh, space that you, you can't go any further than that. Um, unless you, you know, get another art pad out, um, <laughs> constraint like really gets my, like, you know, juices flowing and able to create something. And then I'll either ink it, um, before, uh, moving over to iPad or I'll just scan in the pencil drawing. And usually it's just like a straight up thumbnail where everything's loose. And then yeah. uh, you just go on from there. Yeah. I think about that a lot because I work the same way where like all my sketches start and like I'm at the point I've started doing this thing and this might be really stupid or at least as far as uh, time goes, but I'll do the full sketch in my sketchbook and then I'll re-sketch it on the iPad. It's like I'm trying yeah. to tell myself to like, I need to be able to do this on the iPad. So I'm going to figure it out, but I'm still going to do the like loose scratchy lines first as a blue underline and then like go up and build the art. And I don't like I still I think about that a lot as far as like, you know, uh, the weirder side of creativity. And like, I really do think there's something whether it's just nostalgia, because that's where I started as far as just tactile. Like there's something about the feeling of a pencil <laughs> on a paper and like there, it just clicks I, that brain, you know, I absolutely love buying new sketchbooks and like new micron pens and new pencils and ev i love giving my money to michael's and Me whatever crap around even if i know that i'm not going to like use it immediately like you know i'll i i buy micron pens and like copic markers all the time and i feel like nobody ever sees any of the work i do with any of that shit but uh, <laughs> just the, i don't know the feeling of a brand new sketchbook and the feeling of like freshly uh you know, getting out um, my uh, my brushes and getting a new uh, bottle of ink or something like that. It's just this feels really good, even if it yeah. doesn't like go anywhere. Just no. that feeling of clean, unused, unmarked up, ungunked up ink is awesome. So yeah. I don't know. It's just uh, it's just my brain and not having self control. No, I'm with you, dude. And like, there's something so gratifying to that, like coming home and unloading the bag of art yeah. supplies and like lining it up and being like the opportunities that exist. And you'll just never get that same feeling from like loading 60 stipple brushes into procreate. Like, yeah. it's like, like the tool is so much better, obviously like you have like a bajillion different mediums at your fingertip or Apple pencil tip, but right. like it still doesn't feel nearly as gratifying as like lining up the markers and the color coordinating right. them and or being like, Oh, I'm a little paper and, you know, brushing down your, uh, your lead to get that perfect, Yes. Little like i don't know there's something that kind of uh, physicality there's just uh yeah. if i don't produce anything like worth showing off or like doing just the the method and the the process of it just feels really good it's good for my I, brain i think fucking off is a bigger part of all of this than anybody will ever admit. Oh, yeah. like <laughs> like i think <laughs> like artists talk about it all the time, how they just piss time away, whether it's like going down rabbit holes on the internet or doing things yeah. like uh, uh, obsessively sharpening pencils or geeking out yeah. about pencil sharpeners. One of my best friends who's like, or one of my uh, good friends who's one of the best illustrators I know is like the biggest pencil sharpener geek. He, go, he gets <laughs> like 
German handmade, like beautiful pencil sharpeners and he'll get like antique ones. And like, it's just, it's his thing. And like, he spends hours like researching it and stuff. And like, but that like feeds it, like it doesn't matter. That pencil sharpener sharpens the pencil the same way that this like $10 staples one does. But like that is part of his process and that like it gets his creative stuff going and connects him to that. that dopamine rush you get in the good headspace and you have a good attitude and you know everything is just so because you know <laughs> yeah and, we'll and and what we just described into. yeah and what we just described is a ritual we are talking about yeah. be, like <laughs> like enacting magical r- rituals and i think there's something to that so the other part of the weirdness with like analog stuff that i really think there's something too is i think creativity and like whatever i definitely subscribe subscribe to the fact that like my best stuff comes from some place that i just can't pinpoint or recognize like i'll just kind of wake up with ideas or i'll just be sketching a sketchbook and be like oh yeah there it is i don't know where that came from but that's it so like i definitely exist in the consciousness exists outside of us and we tap into things type of thing but i think that also is a very liminal state, just like the paranormal. It exists in this in these like in-betweens, these paradoxical states, this yeah. yes and no. And when you're working on a digital device, there's no liminal. It's zeros or ones. Like it's replicating yeah. what we're doing with literally the opposite of liminal technology. So the pencil is going to be able to tap into that better because there is no zero. Like it can get 0.5. Like it doesn't have to be a zero <laughs> or a one. Like, and I, I think that's like, even if it's just a metaphor or even if there's never any kind of like uh, materialistic backing to that. I think there's something to the analog tapping into those things. And yeah, yeah I, there's a I, psychological also. I don't know. It's yeah. just it's just well, the urge to, to make thing on, on a surface. Yes. No, I, dude, 100%. And I'll, I'll tell you, I get freaked out about people losing that urge for some reason. For some reason, that's that's what scares me, to be honest, like, is, is people losing that urge to create in those ways. But then... And like, you know, we're all in like somewhat of a bubble, but then I'll talk to somebody like you and you're you're about 10 years younger than me. And you have a similar story in your creative life as I do, as far as like your what motivates you, it seems, and like the the way that we create things. And then I look at my five-year-old, and it's the same thing. Like he technically has access to an iPad and Apple Pencil whenever he wants, but he right. still goes for the crowns and the paper and the markers and the tape and the scissors because he likes to make a fucking mess. Like he likes that he's gonna like <laughs> like end up drawing on the table and like you know that's like part of it you know well there's um, a there's a product that exists in the real world when you're done with it doing that whereas you have an ipad and you can hold up the ipad and you can print it i suppose on on you know through a printer but there's just something about having the finished product already in your hands and there's only one of it and you can't replicate it in real you know in, in absolutely a, so i don't know there's something about that i've been I have the opposite effect with uh, with our oldest son that he really, really, really wants an iPad with an Apple Pencil. And I am, I'm not a fun parent. I'm definitely like the hard ass parent, but I'm, you know, you need to, you, you need to like learn through this. I'm very old man brain when it comes to like fundamentalist shit and like, you need to like get familiar with using markers and crayons and pens and then eventually you'll work up to this because you know you you feel like you're 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 limited in this and then you'll just bounce back and forth i have an ipad but i'm drawing on paper all the time so i don't know there's a there's always like a, a back and forth 
that's super but, important. No, I think that's super important, and it's really good to teach your kids that and to like get like show them that there's a progress. I've talked to other people about this. Like, I had by the time I had the tools that I work with now, I had been like a working artist for a while and had a very yeah. distinct style. I was just incorporating a style to the iPad. If I had that iPad in those, and not even when I was like 14, 16, not even those ages, but the like 20s where I kind of defined what my creative life was going to be. I, I don't think I would, I would have had like that analysis paralysis thing. I feel like where like, you know, it would have been hard to define like one uh, visual style or aesthetic, if that makes sense. Cause right. there's just it's just so like many a, options. There's a, there's a leveling up process where, you know, you figure out what, you know, try different mediums, see where, what you like to work with best then you start dabbling around with styles. You start, re, you know, replicating things that you're watching. I watched Star, or you know, I drew Star Wars characters. I was mm -hmm. obsessed with the Goonies as a kid. I was drawing like One-Eyed Willie every single, every single day. <laughs> book, like I don't know. It's just a, it's a leveling up process where you you try this, you figure out where you're good at it, you move on to another thing. You try this, you learn where you're good at it. You and then you just kind of circle through until you start to feel like you're pretty confident in all of them. And then you just keep leveling up to other places. So I also, I wanted to be an art teacher for a while. Um, while I was in school, I was minoring in art education. Uh, so I don't know. I think I just have that brain, but I also don't want to be, you know, an asshole that's like keeping people back and limiting, you know, their, what they're able to do. But well, I, I think it's a mixture of both. So the, 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 uh, to play the devil's advocate where I think that, access to these technologies are a benefit to younger kids and or i guess anybody starting out in a creative life mm -hmm. is there's a confidence builder there's like so there's a confidence wall that all kids hit i hit it like when you start realizing you're not the best in the class like i remember what? like sixth grade being like oh fuck donnie duffy can draw the shit out, <laughs> like out of bart simpson and i can't like i'm like you know things like that and like i remember like putting stuff down for a while at that point and being like maybe soccer's my thing like maybe you know like and quite and like i think it's important but i feel that those things happen and you try on different hats and everything but i also feel like there's something that's important about like having that confidence boost to be like oh I don't have to put this down and like I can keep with it. And like those, so those level ups that you talk about are super key to me. And I think that they yeah. can look really different to different people. And like, I, I think those level ups, when you interfa interface with something like a iPad where you have mm -hmm. like endless uh, capabilities, they come quicker, but fall off sooner like you know like yeah. i still feel those level ups all the time but like it's not through the ipad <laughs> right yeah. i mean i can i can make an acrylic painting on the ipad and make it look pretty good if i try to make an acrylic painting in real life um it looks like absolute dog shit yeah so I, I tried and i took you know i i meddled Here's... with it realized i'm not good at it and uh the only painting that i'm actually able to like do fairly well with is uh, is like watercolor just because you can control it and yeah. you know and it's supposed to look pretty messy so 
have you tried going back to like doing so one of the things i i've noticed and i have a couple friends like this who started out completely digital artists right like digital like very painterly artists (laughs) digital painting style and have since gone back to do like traditional oil paintings and acrylic and they're like they originally tried doing the oil paintings and were like fuck this this is too hard i have an ipad and and they learned how to oil paint on the ipad so when they went back to apply what they learned via the ipad the oil paintings were better you know (laughs) like which i also really love um with using the ipad and procreate is i don't have to waste supplies and money to Mm -hmm. practice so and i don't know it's just so accessible to get you know really nice brushes or you can make your own brushes and like i don't know it's a good practice run for and and i really want to you know go back to doing more traditional stuff um jamie snell is one of my favorite guys in this like crypto community and i don't know just the way that guy works everything's traditional everything's like so intentional with his brush or his uh, pen strokes and his compositions. And like, I feel like I'm getting too comfortable and complacent with my skills on the iPad that I, I really need to go back. But also I have small children in a very small window of time. <laughs> I can do any of this and making a mess and having to clean up a mess every time I want to create something just eats into that. So yes. For now, it is what it is. I'm just glad that I can still, you know, crank stuff out at my pace. And, you know, it's fun. I'm having fun again. No, okay. So there's a bunch of stuff there that has gotten my brain going. One, it's just so funny how, like, how... um, much duality there is to all of this like everything we just said we also just contradicted ourselves right, in yeah. what we just <laughs> said and i think again that like one foot in one foot out is so important like the not all traditional not all digital i think there's value in all of it and it's all about like uh, your intentions change as an artist as you grow as you have a family right. as you like like you know all of those things change your creative life just like it changes your financial life or your social <laughs> life or like right. anything else right so like it would make sense that like you know maybe right now it's not uh eastern painter time but like you know give it 10 15 years when you have like way more time and that's the time to tap into that part of the uh the creative but like i i think it's also like what what i like about everything you just said is that there was no like i (laughs) I don't like when people start talking in hard and fast. So like, it's really nice to hear, hear how you can go back and forth between the two and see the value in both things. Cause I, right. I think whether you're talking about art or like the paranormal or any of these, like, kind of bigger uh humanity things like it's better it's better it's to a, remember we're all weird like we're all yeah. like dichotomies to begin with <laughs> it's like a two-step forward one step back type deal where you're still advancing but you know see it a little further and then step back and be realistic and then you know that kind of thing yeah so To go back to what we were talking about a little bit ago, as far as uh, what you've been recently kind of looking to get out of the your interest in the paranormal or the weird you know we've been talking about how you were uh you, you've been you know a skeptic pretty much your whole life and, and an atheist and, and such and mm-hmm. you're starting to look into some more of the consciousness aspects of this whole thing and the implications that that those have to have or that the paranormal has on those things what what mm-hmm. kind of led you down that rabbit hole or that side of the uh the weirdness 
I think it's just wanting, I think like we spoke last time, it's just wanting to hold on to wonderment and the idea of awe. And, you know, you can be a very realistic, grounded person, but still want there to be, you know, more than what's in front of us, that kind of thing. It's very, very surface existential stuff. But um, what got me there, I, I guess I've always been really interested in, you know, unknowable, you know, forbidden knowledge, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know, there's, there's a pursuit and nobody can like box you in on it. Um, I was raised very religious and I feel like from a young age, like you can start to like see like holes poked here and there just because these are humans talking about divinity and like, you know, <laughs> just like, I don't know, <laughs> I'm going to ramble no. this. But no, I, I totally dude. It's funny because you just sparked a memory I haven't had in forever about like <laughs> about religious upbringing in the first time that like you were like, oh, that's bullshit. And like, yeah. it's funny. I was behind the curtain for a second. Yeah. So like I, I was raised Catholic. I actually said in another podcast that the first time I really started questioning stuff like all the way was when my Nana died. But it was actually way before that. Now that I think about it, because I was probably in like seventh or eighth grade when my mom had a miscarriage and she told me about it and she was like, God needed another angel. He just that the baby had to go back to God and that's how, and like, you know, not that my mom did anything wrong telling me that, but I remember specifically being like, fuck that. Like, like that's like, that's some horseshit God. If that's how this works. Like, well, on top of that, like if you're going to make this whole, you know, run around about baptism and like that kind of shit, how are you guys going to like, push the goalpost back to like you know, put it in your head that this is what God wanted. Like, I don't know. There's just like, there's, I think I'm also just a naturally like angry person. So uh, there's always like an underlying, like just like anger and wanting to uh, rebel against absurdity. And I don't know, just shit like that. I'm very easily annoyed and like, uh, you know, perturbed by a lot of things. So totally. I think as I, older and got more into that mindset then found fucking straight edge hardcore and you know got into that wheelhouse um it just this is where i'm sitting for the yeah. foreseeable future until i have you know i have some sort of uh miracle happen and i see <laughs> that no absolutely it's funny the uh the hardcore scene like you know i was very involved in the punk scene growing up and that was definitely the time in which i was least into any of this it was you know much much more of an atheist atheistic time in my in my <laughs> life and whatnot and really i mean no gods no masters exactly it was all <laughs> bullshit like that was the thing and but then it's funny because i look back on those times and again it was all just fucking magical and spiritual and like like when yeah. you think about like 150 punks in a basement singing along to one right. thing that it's like you are a fucking religion and actually you know that's what people usually get fed up with in the punk scene is the like dogmatic bullshit that you end up dealing with that like it's this way or not or the highway and like the values i still think are way better than most clubs but they still are a club with values that you have to follow you rebelled against this doctrine of you know of societal standards and then created your own doctrine of societal standards within this subculture and this you know subgenre so 
yeah, one way or another, <laughs> you're, you're still uh, you're still just a number and a brick in the wall. No, exactly, dude. And I think that actually, like, I had I that line of thought. I think freed me up a little bit more than most, to be honest. Like, like, be like mm-hmm. that realization and the accepting of that type of thing was like, oh, it's not that bad being a brick in the wall. I'm cool with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it it allowed me to uh, move on a little, and like I still, you know, I saying all of that. I everything I have today is from the punk scene. I've said it a million times. Like my mm-hmm. family is from people I know in the punk scene. Like the time I've spent in your little town, which has been probably more than most people, is all from the punk scene. Like I Fort Wayne, we've played in probably like seven or eight times or so in my adult life. So. Yeah, played at the brass rail a lot. <laughs> and what oh, was yeah. the other? I'm playing at the brass rail again next month. There you go. Yep. I, <laughs> at some point, I'll ask you about the people I know and see if you know them. I'm not going to do it on air in case there's yeah, yeah. bad things <laughs> that I don't need to know at this point. Um, because you know, I haven't talked to people in years. Who knows what happens? <laughs> um, I'm not from Fort Wayne. I've only been uh, in the Fort Wayne network the last like seven years. Oh, that's right. From, I remember you saying that. Pocomo, Indiana, which is like a little spit of a town north of Indy. Yeah. Well, bit of a town. It's a pretty thriving, like almost city at this point, but uh, comparatively. So when did you, did your getting into music and visual arts all coincide or was it a, a one before the other type deal? Um. I was definitely more into visual arts before I got into music. Um, I wasn't like wildly sheltered as a kid, but I definitely had parents that uh, feigned that they were religious. I don't really know where my parents stand now, but it was definitely, uh, I don't know. It, there was like a, there was like an act to it. I don't know what to call it. I don't want to like bad my parents, but there no, was definitely, no. you know, we live in suburbia and you have to walk the walk and talk the talk and, that kind of thing and church is inclusive and my my mom is religious i know that for a fact but um uh so let me i've i've explained my my art uh mythos and my my lore <laughs> on uh on strangeology where uh when i was a kid um i would make a mess in my home every day with toys and, you know, just shit. And uh, my parents at one point got fed up with it and gave me an ultimatum that if I didn't like, you know, learn this like simple responsibility of like cleaning up after yourself and like taking care of your things, um, you're going to get it taken away. And it happened. And they, you know, packed up all my stuff and they put it in the attic and said, you know, you get it back when you get it back. And they gave me a pad of paper pencils and markers and everything so i just started drawing nonstop because it was either that or you know play outside so um from that point on i want to say i was like three or four from that point on drawing was like everything so watching movies and drawing is just like always on my brain or just like you know drawing while i'm eating um is just a nonstop thing and I do. I can't even think of a point where I wasn't like actively drawing and filling binders with drawings and, you know, drawing on the walls at my grandparents' house and stuff like that. So art has always been an activity and like a very strong hobby in my life. And then um, growing up, gotten to music because of band class uh, in middle school. 
and then branched off when I started getting into, you know, uh, developing my music taste and influences. So, um, but also doing art, I was definitely the art kid in high school um, and then going to college and doing art and then college burnt me out and uh, I dropped out. And that's when I really started like working on music more and, you know, along with having a job. Um, so I think when you were talking to Jeff, when he was on here, uh, he taught you talk about what supplemented your love for the paranormal. And he said yeah. music and that uh, music and like horror culture, or horror films. Um, that was definitely my like my trade off for a minute. That's awesome. When did the horror uh, interest start? Uh, definitely. That was probably uh, in middle school. Also, um, seventh grade, I feel like I was really into like niche italian 70s you know uh, exploitation horror and you know all the forbidden movies and um, yeah just stuff like that and it was definitely just like a counterculture move like you know it's not good you know i didn't like it but i liked it because you know it's badass and you know not a normal person thing so yeah and then, no, but that's influenced my taste in art um so because you know getting into those movies you start getting into um you know the uh, the the cover art and you start learning about artists and then you go from the cover art to you know um horror comics of the time and i don't know it was just like a, a rapid like domino effect where i got into one thing and then it led to another thing and it led to another thing and it kind of circled me back to being a freak about high strangeness and cryptids and unsolved mysteries and all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. That's perfect. And do you still, are you still super into horror movies? Obviously are you, uh, are you... I'm de- uh, yes, I, I'm definitely, you know, Halloween's not my favorite time of year because I live that like, you know, I'm watching scary movies. My wife is definitely more of a horror movie person than I am at this point where she'll just watch anything and everything that like crosses the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I let her do a lot of my vetting. And if this is <laughs> time, yeah, I'll watch it. But, um, you know, stuff like that. That's awesome. Do you still, do you consume a lot of media? Like, do you have time to, to watch a good amount of stuff these so, days or? I'm a guy and my wife hates this. I'm a guy that I can watch like the same shit over and over and over again, just because I'm familiar with it and it's comforting. So like, I don't know, there's, I could watch the thing anytime, anywhere. Um, more like modern movies. I could watch like knives out anytime. That's a long ass movie, but like, I don't know. There's just something about it. That's very comforting. I could watch clue anytime. So I'm a person that, I've watched The Office eight or nine times all the way through. Yeah, yeah. I can watch that show anytime. I don't know. I'm also a person that I don't like to um, give my f- full attention to TV and movies at this point. Because if I'm sitting down, I want to be drawing or like, you know, researching something. Um, so it's it's back and forth. You know, if I get like wind of a really good um, movie coming through like theaters, um I definitely like do some research on it and then like try to figure out if it's something that I want to devote an hour and a half, two hours to. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. a long way of saying uh, yes, but no. 
<laughs> no, that's perfect. That's I don't think I do anything where uh I can I don't think I consume any media unless it's a book that gets my full attention anymore. Mm-hmm. And the amount of actual books I read is very small. <laughs> like <laughs> like uh getting through the ecology of souls was amazing, but I'm like, yep, that's like a year's worth of books for me. That's <laughs> like I my feet uh you know in a week or so when it gets here. That's I'm excited to talk to hear what you think about it. I loved it. And I think you're going to really dig it. And actually, that's a great transition to something I've been asking uh, pretty much everybody that comes on here. Uh, And you probably heard me ask Jeff, but that is uh, what what your thoughts on the afterlife are. You know, we touched on that. You you come from a bit of an atheist point of view. What 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 is. Yeah. What what do you think as far as what happens when the lights go out? Uh, I mean, at this point, uh, I think that's another reason I'm so interested in, um, in the paranormal and I'm really interested in near death experiences and out of body experiences and psychedelic experiences, just because I have no fucking clue. Nobody has any fucking clue, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not subscribed to any, any option at this point. Um, I, I, there are definitely concepts that I think are way more comforting than others. Like just the idea that when we're, you know, torn down to our basic components, we are love and light and, you know, we are just an energy signature that's, you know, barreling down the highway, that kind of thing. Um, I I really, I don't, but other than like, just liking that idea, I'm just like a, I'm just a boring atheist that I think that, you know, we we live and we have good times we have bad times and then uh we're cremated or buried and that's about it <laughs> and so. then it's and that you know i i am the type of person there's room for that for sure yeah. i definitely <laughs> i i i think that's my least favorite way to look at any of, of it course, for yeah. sure but it's not my favorite you know. way but it's it's uh i definitely um tr- I'm just trying to get to a point where I'm comfortable with that as a, as an option. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, being comfortable with it all is, is, is a good way to look at it for sure. Right. And I mean, well, yeah, that's, I mean, uh, I mean, think the way I'm able to, I have these, I don't have like a crazy anxiety. Like I used to, I'm like, I have the best life I could possibly have. And I'm very complacent and happy with, you know the way things are and it feels really good at 27 to like you know just feel good uh when you you know when you're laying down and you have intrusive thoughts trying to go to sleep uh the only thing that really like gives me solace is that a billion plus other people have died before me and i'm sure they're doing a-okay so (laughs) like when it comes to like the thoughts of the afterlife um i think it's just like there's no, there's no way out of it. So can't go around it. Can't go over it. May as well totally. just go through it. Yeah, like, no, absolutely. I think that's a really good way and healthy way to look at it. And like, I think that's why I like the idea that people like Robert Anton Wilson talk about as far as reality tunnels and trying on different ideas and different mm-hmm. modalities of these things. And kind of like, there's probably some truth to all of them. And those like little frag, like, hey, there's probably some truth that the lights go out and Easton does not right. exist anymore. <laughs> but there's probably some truth to the fact that a little bit 
bit of Easton goes on somewhere and comes yeah, back right. and does other stuff. And like, I think, well, one of the things that I loved, and I think this was on Timothy Renner's podcast, he was mm-hmm. uh, strange familiars. It, he did a, a two or three part interview with, um, I don't remember which tribe, but it was a Native American tribe from the Southwest, I believe. And um, the gentleman's job was both a historian and a village. uh, I don't I can't think of the terminology used, but essentially a knowledgeable person in the uh, community. And uh, the way that he explained their kind of version of the afterlife is whatever belief you hold, essentially whatever you believe is how you're going to interact with the afterlife. So if you believe that it just turns off and that's that, that's probably what's going to happen. But if you, <laughs> that's another thought exercise I've had before where like, maybe if, if, you know, if the paranormal is a, uh, uh, co-created phenomenon, creative phenomenon, maybe the afterlife and your personal death is also a co-created experience. And, you know, maybe you I, can totally. Yeah, no, I think there's something to that, man. <laughs> I think that, like, so it also makes me think about why so many religions, like, uh, their their versions of the afterlife have consistencies. And, like, you know what else I never thought about is how some religions just don't even have hell. Like, they don't even allow you to have yeah, exactly. that version of the afterlife. <laughs> like, because maybe they know that that's true, that, like, the perception well, of it. Where the concept of monetary gain and power came into play is all of a sudden mm-hmm. there has to be a, you know, <laughs> there has to Control be a mechanism. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> So if you're looking at the timeline, you could say right here is where we <laughs> we invented currency. No, absolutely. Because if you look at and that's one of my favorite things to look at as far as like the stuff that is consistent from from whether it's spiritual teachers or just geniuses, but things even like how Jesus forever would say things like the church is inside of you or that like, you know, the poor shall come first and the rich shall come last or what's the, 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 uh, it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than the rich person to get into heaven or something <laughs> along but like those are the right. type of things that I feel like I'm like, Oh yeah, he was saying all that stuff. But then, you know, like you said, the control mechanism came yep, in and yep. needed to be <laughs> but yeah i mean I, I i think there's something there's value in looking at all of it there's this really awesome I mean, he's one of my favorite artists uh his name is ramin ramin Nazer, and um he has a great podcast called rainbow brain skull i highly recommend for people um but he has this really awesome comic it's just a like 24 or 32 page comic uh that is all about it's it's called it's either called death or what happens after death but it's essentially like he goes through uh all the different spiritual and world beliefs of what goes on in the afterlife and just compiles them for you in a really fun colorful comic and it's really fun just to like pretend like you believe that every time you turn the page and be like this is what happens and live and like try and really like think that's what happens and like i i i think the more that people are just kind of reflective about death it allows them to be more aware and self-aware in their life and like just kind of if no matter how you think of the afterlife if it allows you to be a happier and nicer person in general 
that's what that's it kind of the goal. As, as, and I think also when I started, um, you know, realizing that I was losing faith in the Christian church um, and just Christianity uh, as a whole in like, you know, sixth grade, um, I started to, you know, think like, if I do all this shit right, I'm a good person. I like, you know, I, I, I practice it secularly. There's no way he's going to send me to hell. There's no way. <laughs> Like, because I don't, I don't carry the faith with me. Doesn't mean I deserve to be <laughs> tormented. So that was totally. like you know, the death throes, the swan song of my uh, my time as a faith, you know, based faith driven person. So, Absolutely, it's so funny because I feel so. I went to Catholic school my whole life, and I feel like that was the messaging in grade school and then i got to high school and it was a much more open messaging it was much more like with the the um the new i don't know there's definitely a a a more inclusive uh you know set of parameters uh with the pope nowadays <laughs> and like, yes like yes. it's a, and um it is and, uh you know some people think it's problematic, but I mean, it, it's, it's organized religion. So <laughs> just, just because you don't agree with it doesn't mean. Yeah. You know. Well, for the, a bunch of things, like, so I went to, I was in high school, 2000, 2004. And like, you know, I, it, it was on the borderline as far as pro, pro, progress was starting, you know, like there, there's lots of things have progressed poorly, but I definitely had priests in my high school that was like, yeah, no, like Buddhists can go to hell. Like anybody can fucking go to heaven. Just they got to yeah. be a good person. Like anybody could be rewarded in God's Which kingdom. They would say. Sense. I wouldn't have had to cry myself to sleep at the thought of going to hell for like you know for lying that day. Dude, or it's, something. So I uh, I didn't I didn't get like the fire and brimstone like you know Baptist upbringing, but um I definitely got a like a healthy dose of shame and a healthy yes. dose, you know you do the you do these things wrong and you're fucked bud so totally i i got i got some of that for sure and i got that like way more and but i definitely got i think at least with catholicism there's that real mystic side of the like i definitely Which got the weirdness I do, from it <laughs> I do on of of catholicism and um i i uh, i love visiting cathedrals and you know i love gothic architecture and so there are i'm not like a an all-out like you know wage war against uh you know organized religion um but because of the you know there are there are good things that come of it in in little doses but um yeah the uh the accoutrement and the uh the the drama of catholicism yes. is always really interesting oh yeah and, like it it took so long to realize that it wasn't that like, I remember, I guess it was like seventh grade, something they made us go to other like Christian churches that weren't Catholic. And I was like, wait, where's the dead guy on the cross? You guys yeah. don't just have like a big <laughs> naked cross. dead guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, no, that definitely. And, like, just... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And just the whole transubstantiation and the whole like that, you know, Catholics believe this is actually like, you know, a magical thing that happens when right. the priest says like that was Dude, different. I didn't know. <laughs> I mind to like learn 
like little i don't even i don't know what to call them little like good luck charms and shit that um catholics do like burying uh, a statue of like saint david saint joseph saints one of the saints you bury upside down in your backyard for like good luck when you're selling your house Ooh, i don't know that one i definitely know like pray like i definitely know pray to saint anthony when you miss it when something's missing like he's the patron saint of finding shit apparently and uh there are some other ones like that that i was brought up with for sure and like i mean yeah the god i think it's an i think it's a normal thing i think like saint joe you you bury in the backyard for like protection on your home and then it's like saint very upside down for like uh financial like um you know good wealth and good wealth and like i don't know there's just like a bunch of weird like rituals that that go into it that i think are really interesting just as you know animals digging in the yard and burying a statue is really neat so (laughs) The, the folklore and the mythology of it all, that's like, and I've heard, I am no uh, religious or historical scholar, but I've heard people... I'm like the dumbest guy alive. I'm just really interested in cool shit. So, yes, exactly. <laughs> I uh, I just regurgitate a bunch of different podcasts I've listened to, so all of my... More of a bandwidth for, like, quoting and, like, I don't know if I'm just, like, nervous because I'm on a podcast right now, but, like, anytime I want to access, like, stuff that I would, like, think to myself, like, really deeply on, I am at a total loss for words, like, half the time. (laughs) So I'm like, wow, this is going to be a shitty episode. I'm not contributing anything that I would normally, like, pop off with. You're doing... No, not at all, man. This is great. (laughs) And so here's something that I... So I feel that way all the time. I've fucked up several times on all of my podcasts in misquoting things and and whatnot. Um, But here's one thing I heard recently actually from uh, Eric Wargo again because someone was asking him about like they misquoted him to him essentially like that type of thing which like (laughs) I probably will do or have done in the past. But um, not to him but to other people. But uh, he was like, no, like ideas are not meant to be like constrained to correctness like there is there is something to conveying an idea incorrectly that could progress it in a very big way and like to hold ideas in because you don't feel like you're going to express them exactly like the originator of them is going to uh, squash a lot of important things that could come out i like that a lot yeah yeah, and he's like a dude that uh, he's he surprised me with a few things. Like he's a very matter of fact guy. He works in. I was going to say, of, he sounds like a very you know realistic, like grounded, very like uh, yeah, just a very. Uh, I'm I'm blanking. <laughs> no, but, so one of the things that very actually well, rubs well tempered person. Yes, a hundred percent. And one of the things that actually sometimes like uh uh sticks out to me when he's talking he's, he's very matter of fact and i said earlier like i don't normally like people that are very matter of fact i usually like people that end things with like but we don't know you know this is just <laughs> ideas that i play around with because those usually seem like the people that really get what's going on but there's a way he's matter of fact with kindness that's really nice but he said some things that surprised me like that one the other thing that he said that i love is that the true and i may have said this to you before when we were talking but and i'm probably going to butcher this again i'm probably going to i'll get the idea but not the uh, the quote here at all but the the idea that the magic or 
what makes any of these, whether it's paranormal phenomena, synchronicities, like dream work, any of that stuff actually work is the sharing it with other people that none of it works until the story is shared. And that the whole, the whole magic is retro causal that it loops back on itself. That like that event doesn't fully form until it's shared with a community or with other people. And that like, there's a communal aspect to this. And I've always known there's a communal aspect it brings people like we're talking right now like obviously this shit brings people together but to think about that it happens because we came together is really beautiful like i love that (laughs) and again like i use all of these things as just super fun thought experiments to kind of like view the world it world in a bit of a more novel way i don't i'm not married to anything that i say on any of these podcasts (laughs) i feel like there's uh there's um value in reframing these things even if i don't uh reframe them the way they were intended to be framed i feel like there's something to just like re-expressing the ideas but dude okay so we we've talked about a whole bunch of weird stuff as far as like you know consciousness and all of that and the, one of the things that i've been wondering when i look at like your your paintings right like your your artwork is very um it's it's lush like it's thick right like there's like it it looks like there's like tons of fucking layers in those in those files without having ever ever seen them right so i've been thinking about like layers and how that applies to like the essentially the way we interact with the phenomenon that it's just like layers of multiplying layers like you know when you hit multiply on a layer and it just kind of like slightly changes the color like of the layer were, under yeah but like it's still the same color underneath like i right. I, I really think that's like a, a a fun metaphor for how people can interact with these ideas of either sh- like high strangeness or even just like creativity that you can have these lives with these multiplying layers over top of it that kind of build up to this whole other thing but it's still just that one base layer underneath of it all if that makes sense right like yeah i there's there's so many circumstances and contextual um like elements to each person's approach to understanding things or you know they're finding meaning in different phenomena and stuff like that so um yeah like you said it like like with your quote, like quoting people, getting the intention of it down, but, you know, in your own words, uh, with, you know, your own lexicon with the, you know, your understanding of everything. Like, um, I think, you know, different phenomena sticks for different people because of different, you know, reasons, different upbringings, different, I don't know, different, uh, things that pique your interests. So, um, I definitely like, with uh, paranormal phenomena, I'm really interested in like, you know, uh, sleep paralysis entities. I'm really interested in doppelgangers. I'm really interested in mimics. I'm really, when it comes down to it, I'm really into the human aspect of a lot of cases. Like, love the Mothman story. Mothman is the least interesting part of <laughs> the Mothman story. Like, the, the, the dreams and premonitions are really interesting. The men in black shit is really interesting. Um, you know, the, the tragedy that like, uh, crescendoed everything, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's all very human based and, um, it's just a very human story, uh, at the end of it. So I noticed, um, 
in my like just like going through my my uh, open tabs on my phone of like research and stuff it's all very um how do i want to say it it's all just very human that's i guess that's the only way i can put it it's all uh there's nothing nothing like really out there i'm not that interested in like ghosts inspectors um I think I'm just more in, into like the sociology and like the cultural like uh, impact of these phenomena more than the phenomena itself at this point. Yes, I think that's a really nice place to be. And like, I mean, there's if anything can be confirmed in any of this stuff, it's the human element. It's the yeah, like we're humans taking in the information and, you know, uh making judgments or uh, marking specific like parts of uh, an experience uh, and like trying to correlate it with something else and doing the whole forest Burgess, everything's connected. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and why I like that aspect is because it drops the, uh, the mechanism question and it, it focuses on the meaning. Like when you start looking into the human aspect of these cases, you find yourself acting, asking a lot less of like what is this or is it real and a lot more of like what happened to this person after this event and like how how was this integrated into their lives and like what yeah the last we talked uh i was talking about like really getting into um alien abduction and being it being um uh being translated throughout time with uh you know how people were affected and what they essentially what they called alien abduction back in the day so like fey folk mm-hmm. is was something that was understood so a lot of fairy uh anecdotes seem like uh what we would think of as uh alien abductions today because that's in our zeitgeist and that's in our you know culture yeah. And so um, really getting into just and it's like I said, it just comes down to just human experience and what we uh, what we try to tack on with these unanswerable, uh, you know, questions. Even when you get into specific uh, segments of the weird, you can find those trends, whether it's like alien abductions and you look at the trends of the the narratives of these cases rob christopherson is covering uh abductions right now on right. Our guys. a lot yeah and one of the things he's been we've been talking a lot like as he's been going through those and one of the things that's been prevalent in the episodes he's working on now that'll be coming out probably before this conversation comes out uh, but is that depending on what um what hip uh, essentially when the experiencer is going to figure out what happened to them depending on who they chose to work with to find out what happened whether it was a hypnosis uh or a investigator that shapes their experience so like if you went to bud hopkins you were going to get one very specific experience because that was the experience that he essentially uh instilled via hypnosis if you went to david jacobs it would be one thing if you went to you know uh, uh, whoever it's going to be based on the and those two people are very problematic that i just (laughs) and they already have a uh an idea in their head of what this is all you know leading up to 
So they're already disregarding information here and there, and they're leading you into uh, details. And yeah, so and and specifically like David Jacobs, it gets much worse than that. In a lot of instances, there's lots of resources you can find for that information. But even (laughs) like John Mack, who's somebody that I like much more than uh, both of those people. If you went to John Mack, he also functioned in in hypnosis and you would have a very artistic love and light experience. So like these people in you know, they am whoever you surround yourself with to kind of figure this stuff out or involve yourself. Uh, right. they're, in, gonna a, they're gonna have an echo on you or they're gonna have an imprint on yep. on your since they're you know they're just guiding you like and from conclusion to conclusion, that kind of totally. thing. Totally. And I think that goes all the way down to like just people like us who get into the paranormal, like how you get into this stuff and who you get into it through, like affects your view on it. And, right. you know, it's definitely like I came into this again, like I started out loving monsters and weird stuff as a kid got out of it and came into it again through like uh kind of where you're at right now seeking stuff about consciousness and like you know through more of a philosophical spiritual lens and like i fell right into like keel and valet and like so i kind of skipped a lot of the flesh and blood like like when i realized that there was this big kind of push and pull between these two ideas i was like oh that's weird i thought it was all just like people talking about weird shit but uh, people really care about this stuff in uh, certain ways that I was not prepared for. <laughs> um, kind of a weird thing. I haven't even thought about this. So I got into this kind of stuff because it was kind of a routine with my mother um, watching Unsolved Mysteries, like mm-hmm. if there was reruns on. Um, and then I fell out of it for a while and, you know, grew up. And then I think around the time that um, my son was born is when I got like way more into this stuff. So I don't know if there's just like a, a nostalgic, like paternal, like, yeah, or I don't know. There's just, I think also, you know, wanting to raise my kids with the idea that, uh, you know, with wonderment and all, like we were talking yes. about earlier, with that, that kind of, I don't know, that, that spirit that's behind yeah. all very, I think I've said it before, like being in this uh, cryptid art community thing, it's just very wholesome. Like nobody has like a huge ego about it. Everybody's like gassing each other up all the time. Everybody's, you know, always down to talk about this weird stuff. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just uh, it's just a very open armed community. And I love like the little branch that I've kind of nuzzled in with, you know, Jonathan Dodd and uh, Jeff Danner and all these guys. So it's a very... I don't know. At this point, um, it is like uh, substituting um, what the music scene was for me to now this other thing where it's also a side gig instead of just a, a creative exercise where, you know, we never pursued music as like a, a job or, mm-hmm. you know, with the intent of like making money. It was dudes just writing music and having fun and then uh, yep. going home <laughs> at the end of the day. Never, you know, I don't want to tour. I'm six foot four. I don't want to sleep <laughs> on the floor or in a van or anything. So, um, you know, and smart choice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm definitely a creature of habit. You know, I, I cannot not sleep in my bed at this point. <laughs> um, no, so, but, and also having, you know, with conventions now, 
um, having that set group of people that I know I'm going to see, you know, three or four times a year. Um, it's just a very, it just feels like Christmas every time, you know, and getting to see everybody from out of town and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's a very wholesome endeavor to be in because at the end of the day, we're all talking about fucking Bigfoot and mm-hmm. alien. And it's just, you know, just a sci-fi club. It seems like totally dude i i love all of that and i mean one yeah i think there's something about becoming a parent that definitely can reignite this stuff and i i mean for me it was straight up like it, that was the marker was my kid coming and me being yeah. like fuck what happens when you die oh i should <laughs> like it <laughs> mortality i was just reborn and now <laughs> yep ex- exactly three yeah <laughs> so i i think i resonate with that so much and i think there is like it's funny because it starts there but it definitely ended with that oh i would much rather have my kid know his dad's into just like weird magical thinking and now like my kid is way more the realist than i am he tells me all the time that stuff's <laughs> not real he's like that that is not real <laughs> And I think it's important for, I think it's them kind of defining, like, it's a way for them to cope with big ideas to be like, no, that's not real. Well, uh, this time last year, we went um, to a town over to see the Christmas lights. And when we were driving back to town, it's about a 25 minute drive from here to there. And um, we saw the star, the uh, Starlink, SpaceX, Mm -hmm. Starlink. I did not know what the fuck that was. So, um, we're like, oh my god, what is that? That's like a straight ass line, isn't it? There's no like, there's no other stars out or anything. What the hell is that? And then you know, back he's like, I don't want to talk about it. We should. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, well, let's turn down this county road and like go towards it. And he's like, no, no. <laughs> and then, um, you know, that's too I, funny. I finally figured it out like in real time on my phone, what it was. And then, uh, but I didn't mention it to him. So uh, he's just, let's not even talk about it. Don't even look at it. Just drive home. (laughs) That kind of thing. So (laughs) that's amazing. I love that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Kids, they have that way of just being like, Nope, not. And like, you know, my kids, like they see what I draw all the time. They see the weird monsters and and what but you know all my stuff's pretty kid friendly but i'll show like he'll be like dad i want to see you like what's that based off of and i'll i'll like every once in a while I'll be like i'll show you something like i showed him like the night crawlers like because he really likes the ghost pants i'm like this is pretty harmless but as soon as that thing st- he's like nope dad turn that off and he's yeah. like too oh, much there's a, too weird, there's a weird like uh animation or like a weird i don't know the the way they walk is very disorienting and it does it has feel, yeah it, it has like, that gross feeling there's like you could tell there's like weight to it and it's not like stable almost and i don't mm-hmm. like that at all. no so, i agree yeah, i agree I, I that. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no i i love that man this was i i think this is a great place to kind of wrap this up if that's yeah, cool like going, going long I didn't even realize. I just looked up and saw that it's ten thirty. I was like, "Oh shit, that's <laughs> that's awesome." But uh, I, I mean, I could go a whole bunch more for sure. Yeah, so definitely. we'll definitely have to do this again, Easton, because yeah, one, please. I'm real excited for you to dive into ecology of souls because 
to uh even if we're not recording a podcast i think talking uh over zoom would probably be a lot better than you know shooting dms back and forth about this kind of stuff uh on instagram anytime yeah i'm always down to chat uh so like vuk will now just send me voice messages like i'll look at my instagram (laughs) and i'm like Oh, there's like 10 voicemails. Oh, wow. And like, that's way easier. But I'm like, Luke, we should just FaceTime sometime. I don't, I would never even think to send a voice message like unprovoked. <laughs> so I do appreciate do that. And just, Me you know, too. You haven't like look down and read it the entire time. So yeah. But yeah, yeah totally. once I that, expect, uh, expect my review and uh, to have you uh, explain some things that maybe I don't understand. I I can't guarantee that I'll be able to do that, but I will do my best. East, you can point me in the right direction, at least. <laughs> um, absolutely. Well, we'll do that, and uh, we'll probably I I think we'll uh, find many of uh, plenty of other things to talk about in, be- in oh, yeah. the meantime for sure. Um, but before we get out of here, tell everybody where to find your lovely artwork and how to support you. Yeah, um, I am mostly on Instagram. Twitter uh, freaks me out, and Facebook. Is <laughs> uh, I am at Easton Hawk Illustration, all spelled out. Um, I'm also on Reddit quite a bit. I don't post a ton, but I interact quite a bit on there. Um, and my it is the U slash Diaper Feast, which is <laughs> a Eric's Awesome Show reference. Amazing. Uh, um. That's pretty much it. Uh, I pretty much just rely on Instagram and then roll over on Reddit a lot. So you can find me there. Uh, I sell my wares on Etsy for now, uh, which I believe my shop name is Easton Hawk Art. And you can find prints, shirts, stickers, all that kind of stuff over there. Awesome. Well, I will link all of that in the uh, show notes here, like they do in podcasts. And yeah. <laughs> also, I'm going to find that Reddit. Uh, uh, story i told at the top of the show and so you can link it because and you should also read it because i probably butchered quite a bit but you would you would probably like it so i'll find that real quick (laughs) that's perfect well thank you so much for doing this and yeah we'll be talking to you soon easton have a great night you too see ya bye